0: Good morning. I'm Walter Spiers. Got a very exciting, strong, powerful, challenging message from the Lord this morning, from His Word, beyond Sodom and Gomorrah. Beyond Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the God's judgment on a nation, and perhaps we'll talk about nations as we work on through and get to the United States. While Christians watched in horror from their pews, it's an indictment or a challenge to the church as well. And so before we get into this, let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word and get in your word this morning to understand what you have for us to learn from these challenging lessons that were not learned many, many, many thousands of years ago even by your own people so help us to lean in and listen and receive what you have for us today open our eyes to see open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive these things for Christ's sake amen th- th- this word is is powerful and i don't mean it cuz it's me i'm just a messenger the word of god is powerful and the truth of the word of god is incredibly powerful And I think for such a time as this, this is a needed word and a necessary word. And so I'm going to start it today, probably going to next week as well, because what I want to give you today to make sure we set this up properly is is the understanding in the background on Sodom and Gomorrah. Most Christians don't know very much about it, and most others have no idea what it means. And I think most Christians would casually say, yeah, that was Sodom and Gomorrah, and I think God destroyed them, or they were evil and wicked, and that kind of thing. And that's about the extent of it. And so initially, I wasn't led to do this. And then the Holy Spirit convinced me that I needed to go back and give us this background to help us understand, because it's going to be important as we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, what happened there, what they did their sin, then how it translates into what happened with the sins of God's own people, the Jews, what Jesus did in calling out the people of his time, and then finally how it applies to us. So there's really four pieces to this. So let's get started. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is is told in Genesis 18. So I'm going to give you a little background, and I'm not going to read all that to you. I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture here, but I'm going to point you to A lot of things that you can look up, and I have put a number of these verses and references in the notes, which will be posted, at least for this part, um, Monday or Tuesday. So, Genesis 18, here's the background. Three angels, three men, angels that take on the form of men, and they can do that. That's one of the things that angels can do. It's been happening throughout created history. And they appeared to Sarah and Abraham, and Abraham, they prepared a feast for them. They brought them in. They invited them in. They always did that with strangers. People were always so hospitable to strangers. It was interesting. It was considered rude and embarrassing not to do so. And so they would uh, kill a fatted calf, so to speak, and prepare a feast for strangers to come in and invite them to stay. It was very different than it is today in our world. That's for certain. So they did that, and these three men, these angels, came to tell Sarah and Abraham that finally, after all these years of waiting on a son, that by the time they came back to see them the following year, Sarah would have a child, and Abraham would have a son sitting on his knee or baby. And they and Sarah laughed. Sarah laughed because she was 89 and I believe Abraham was 99 because they were 100. Abraham was 100 when um, Isaac was born and Sarah was 90. And it was um, it was they were old. And they said, yeah, I'm, I'm past these years. And and so um, how can we possibly do that? How can that possibly happen? Well, anyway, it did happen. And those angels came to tell them that. And when they went to leave. And as they do, it simply observes that they look towards Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's another city, another area. It is suspected that it is south of the Dead Sea, that whole region. And we'll talk more about that as we move on. So this these angels, these men, said so they look towards Sodom. Then in verse 20, and 21 of Genesis 18, we read this. The Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin, their sin is exceedingly grave. We'll talk more about that sin. And so the Lord said, I will go down and see what they have done entirely as the outcry which has come to me indicates or see whether they have done such great sin, this exceedingly grave sin as this outcry that God is hearing, which has come to me, indicates, he said, and if not, I will know. So he'll know whether or not. So God knows. He obviously knows because he's omniscient and he knows. So what did he do? He's going to go down there and he decides that he's going to destroy it because of its sin, because it was so wicked. And in Genesis 18, the next dialogue is between Abraham and God. Now, Abraham's nephew, Lot, and his family live in Sodom. And so Abraham begins to plead with God and say, wait a minute now, wait a minute. Would, you de- would you destroy it if I could find like 50 good people, 50 righteous people? Would you destroy it? And God said, okay, I will relent. I won't destroy it if, there are 50 good- if I find 50 good people. And then he goes down the number to 30 and 20 and then down to 10. Would you destroy it if, I just- if you could find even 10 righteous people? And God said, "No, I won't do that. i'll'll I won't destroy it if we if we find ten righteous people." Remember that, because ultimately, God, Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because there were not ten righteous people because we're told later on in the New Testament that Lot was a righteous one, was living in all of this um, perversion and and trying to live and testify to them. I'll give you that verse later. So God has said, "Okay, if we go down there and find 10 righteous people, then I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that whole region. Now, that sets it up in verse in in Genesis 19. So we flip the page. We're in Genesis 19. I'm just going to give you a few verses out of that to help set the stage. Two angels again in the form of men were sent into Sodom and they were sent to Lot because they really were sent there to rescue Lot and his family. And here's, and so we know when they came in that the men of Lot tried to attack them, uh, wanted to rape them, have sex with them. It was a gang rape type of thing. And, and that's why Lot was trying to protect them. He did a very foolish thing. He offered his daughters to satisfy the lusts of these homosexual men, but they didn't want that. They wanted the men, the strangers, the strange flesh. So I'm going to read to you in Genesis 19 verses 4 and 5 and then verse 9. Before they lay down, meaning Lot and his family and the angels as men to sleep for the night, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, young and old, all the people from every quarter, and they called out to Lot and said to him, where are the men, and remember I told you those are angels, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. They wouldn't have sex with them. It was a, it was a homosexual very perverse city and culture within Sodom and Gomorrah. This is what we're learning here. It's what it means. Now, in verse 9, he goes on to say, but they said, so they're getting angry because Lot offered his daughters rather than, than these strangers that Lot felt like it was his responsibility to protect. And so these, the, the men, the people of Sodom, said to Lot, cried through the door, get out of the way. You came as a foreigner, and I'm putting it in the third person there. You came in as a foreigner, but already acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. In other words, we're going to rape and pillage them in this, this violating them sexually. We're going to do even worse to you because you won't let us have them. And that was their threat to Lot. And so they pressed hard against Lot and moved toward, to move forward to break down the door to go get these men. Lot had stepped outside to speak to them because he knew them. He had lived with them. They were his neighbors. Perhaps they were his friends, but not in this situation. So that's the background and the setting. Now, let's continue on in Genesis 19 to get the rest of the story in terms of Sodom and Gomorrah and what happened. I'm reading in verse 15 now, same chapter. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of this city. Now, remember back in 18, God had already heard about all this perversion going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, that it was grave and grievous, horrible sin. We know that already. That was their reputation, and it had gotten all the way to God. In, in the sense that it's described here obviously God knew what's going on again I said he's omniscient he knew but for the purposes of this story and what's going on here we need to know that background because God had promised Abraham he said okay if we can find ten righteous people I'll spare it I'm not going to do what I plan because God was already planning this and he said in the verse I didn't read to you well shall we share our plans with Abraham what's going on what we're gonna do and when he did that's when Abraham began to plead for the city because Lot, his nephew, and his family lived there. So that's the background, okay? So we're in Genesis 19 now, but because he didn't find any righteous people except for Lot and his family, kind of like Noah and his family. Does this sound familiar? It should. So at that point, what we see is that God is going to destroy it. And so he's trying to get Lot and his wife and daughters out of the city before that happens. Take your wife, your two daughters, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But Lot hesitated. It was his home. These were his friends, I guess you might say. We're not given that background, but he was part of them. He was part of that community. So Lot hesitated. So when he did, these angels grabbed him and grabbed the hand of his wife and the hand of his two daughters. And, And he said, because of the compassion of the Lord was upon him, They brought him out and put him out of the city. The Lord had compassion on Lot and his family and took them out just in time. How do we know that? Because in verses 24 and 26, it said this, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the surrounding areas and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. So it was burned up, completely desolate. Now, what's interesting is I saw a video recently of, of one of these uh, archaeologists who were doing excavating over in the region because, again, it was completely destroyed. This uncertainty is exactly where they were. There were no remains, not of the people, uh, not of the city, it says even the plants, but they were digging up and they found these sulfur balls. It was really interesting. As sulfur balls... And when they lit them, they put fire to them, they exploded. They were gaseous and they burned. And this is the brimstone that came out of heaven that God caused to, to, to destroy this place. And there will be another raining of fire and brimstone when it comes to after Armageddon and God destroys this world. We'll come to that later. That's a revelation thing. Here we are in the book of Genesis and God is using fire and brimstone and it will happen again in Revelation. It is interesting, and you need to hold on to this when you're thinking about the, the entirety of the Bible and the work of God from Genesis to Revelation and the consistency of it. God used fire and brimstone, which there is evidence of what this stuff is. And it's sulfur, and these sulfur-containing bulk, and they burned. And it was really interesting to see these little things. I, I, I was amazed when I saw it. I was amazed when I saw it. I had not seen it from my own eyes. I wouldn't know exactly if it was true, but it it was true. I watched it there unless it was staged. I guess, you know, today, how do you know? Maybe it was staged, but this guy was over there in that land south of the Dead Sea where it is um, supposed that Sodom, Gomorrah, and all those cities, that area were, and they were destroyed, okay? So one last word there, and this is interesting because it relates to all that we're going to talk about going through as well, the last verse of that passage says, but Lot's wife was behind him. She looked back at what she was leaving. She looked back and became a pillar of salt. Now, no one believes that a human being is turned into a pillar of salt. I I do because I believe the Bible is the real and literal word of God. She looked back. Don't look back. Don't look back on where you've been. Don't look back, because if you do, you're identifying with what I am destroying, and that's sin. And so she was, and she turned to a pillar of salt. Gone. Dead. There's more to that story later with Lot and his daughters and some really unusual, strange things, but that is not our message this morning. Okay, so... That's the history and the background on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I hope that helps you understand because it gives context to where we're going now and all the other references to Sodom and Gomorrah in the scripture. And I'm going to give you some of those. And I'm going to be real fair and honest in the way we look at this because there's some interesting comments and I'll, I'll share that with you as we go. Now, we get to Israel, God's chosen people. The only nation, by the way, the only nation that was a nation of God, chosen by God. The only one in history, still the only one. And, and the nation of Israel, if you read your Bible and the New Testament and even the Revelation, you will find that the nation of Israel, the remnant, those who believe Jesus was born again, those who believe Jesus was Messiah and are born again in Christ, then those who get saved during the tribulation, when they understand that he really was Messiah and not just a prophet, that remnant of Israel that is saved have a special place to play during the uh, special roles to play during the or uh, to fill during the millennial kingdom. That thousand year reign of Jesus on earth. Now, some teachers entire theologies built around the fact that the church replaced Israel. That just doesn't square with scripture. It is not right. There's the church, that means Christians, the Gentile Christians, and then there are the Jews, the Jewish nation, the remnant of that nation who get saved. That Those are the two parties involved. But the nation of Israel is never replaced in Scripture. It's not replaced by us. God destroyed it. We know that I've talked to you that many times. Destroyed it in, in uh, 722 BC with the Assyrians, the northern kingdom, and 586 BC, the southern kingdom of Judah. And it was gone after that. No nation until 1948, 2,600 years or so. God allowed them to come back. Why? Because as I was just studying in Ezekiel, God said, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back from where I've scattered you to. That was a prophecy going all the way back. And it happened, it began in 1948 when the Jewish nation, Israel, was born again in a sense, was reborn, came back into being. I get chills thinking about that because it is one of the signs of these end times we're talking about. It's a sign of the times. For us, it is a sign of the times. It's biblical prophecy fulfilled right before our hour. Well, it happened before we were born, but nonetheless in recent history. And the Jews are still the scorn. The nation of Israel, still the scorn of many nations, hated, and they will be attacked. And the wars against Israel will be what actually brings about all these things that that lead to end times. And the Antichrist, the beast, will go and make peace with Israel when he leads. And that first three and a half years will be great. And then the second three and a half years of that seven-year tribulation, he commits the abomination of desolation. We'll talk about these things. I'm getting way ahead of myself. But you see, nation of Israel is pivotal in that. It's pivotal in that. It was in in history. It is in the future um, time as well. But here's what happens. The nation of Israel had become so perverse. I give you this background on Sodom and Gomorrah because here's what we're leading into. The, The subtitle of this, for God's chosen people, his nation, the ones that he redeemed and saved, brought out of Egypt, out of bondage and slavery, gave him Moses, gave him all the other, the judges, the prophets, uh, and Messiah came out of that from the line of King David. And all these, David and Solomon and else, but most of the kings were horrible, awful men, but um, a few were not. But they were so um, sinful and evil and wicked. Yeah, this is God's people, the Jews. This is what God said in Jeremiah, and it said three times. I'm only going to read you one from Jeremiah 32. And the the subtitle I have of this part of the message is worse than I could have ever imagined. Worse than I could have ever imagined. What was God speaking about? Well, let's see. These are God's words, by the way. So he's he's speaking through Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah 32 30 he said this for the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah that's both nations okay they split God never intended for them to split but they split the two kingdoms Israel was a northern kingdom Judah was a southern kingdom so he's including all of them for the sons of Israel and the sons of Judah have been doing only evil in my sight since their youth all of their lives the sons of Israel have only been provoking me to anger By the work of their hands, declares the Lord. They turned their back to me and not their face. And though I taught them teaching again and again, how do you teach them? Through the law, Moses and the law and the prophets. God was teaching them. Here's the law that I gave you for your protection to help you live righteously before me. But they were detestable. But they put detestable things in the house, which is called by my name to defile it. They started worshiping idols. Idolatry was a huge thing. All the perverse things that they did. Let's keep going. But they built high places of Baal. They had these high altars called the Ashtaroth. They had high places. They worshiped Baal. The nation of Israel worshiping Baal like all the ites. They got sucked in and started commingling and marrying and giving their daughters and sons in marriage to the to the pagans, all these different ites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the, uh, just uh, the Ammonites. And, the, and there's so many ites, and they ended up th- leading to the destruction of Israel. They put detestable things in my house to defile it. They built high places. And here we go. In the Valley of ben Hinnom, which was right behind Israel, was this big ditch, this big valley ditch area where they burned rubbish and trash and stuff, and the fire burned forever. The Valley of Hinnom, that is the one of the symbols for hell in the New Testament. We talk about that because it burns forever. That, that fire back there burned forever outside the walls of Jerusalem. That's the Valley of Hinnom. But here's what they did. In that fire, in that fire in that valley where they burned the trash, they burned their sons and daughters. They made their sons and daughters pass through the fire to the god Moloch. They were sacrificing their own children little boys and little girls babies of whatever age all ages because they thought they were honoring these god's moloch and they would give a bone to god too and it was horrible and awful they are sacrifice child sacrifice was a practice of god's chosen people the nation of israel and he said not only had i not commanded them here's the key nor had it ever in the, nor had it ever entered my mind that they would do such abomination. God was shocked. Now, again, you can get into the omniscience of God and the sovereignty of God and knowing all these things, but God wants us to know that these things were so heinous, so abominable, that he was just distraught because it was his people, the ones that he chose, the ones that he, he let out of slavery, the ones that he blessed with all the things in the promised land that that they didn't, Uh, they didn't own it initially. God gave it to them. He dispossessed all these different people to give it to his people. Boy, a lot of people, they hate that, hate that thought. That's why they don't think Israel deserves anything. That land belonged to someone else. You know, God saw things differently and God had already punished those people. And we can read about that in the lands of Canaan because they were pagan. And God talked about that as well. But he gave them that land. But what did they do? They just continued to mingle with all the other people church listen to this they started to mingle with all the other people from all the other cultures and things that they saw well that's interesting huh that's interesting well you know gosh she's beautiful he's a good-looking guy well let's just let's just start, you know let's we'll bring them all in and let's just co-mingle and and, and let's start having you know intermarrying and all these things and this is not racial stuff by the way that I'm talking about this is this is these are sins of the heart sins of the flesh God told them not to do this, and now they were even so, so debauched, so low and so evil, they were sacrificing their own sons and daughters in fire to another God. And God said, these are things so abominable, I couldn't have even imagined it. Couldn't imagine someone would do that. And I want to read a passage here and then give some explanation to it. So God, again, speaking through the prophet, now Ezekiel, not Jeremiah, Ezekiel. In that way, Ezekiel was a prophet in Babylon. The southern kingdom, Judah, had been destroyed, overrun by the Babylonians. The Babylonians took back a bunch of the wealthier, smart Jews with them. Among them were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were Anna, actually, their, their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. The, the other names were their Babylonian names. But so they would take back the, some of the officers of a country, those who appeared smarter, wealthier, and they took them back and they treated them pretty well. And they wanted them to be educated and trained in the ways of whether it was Babylon or Assyria or the Medo-Persians. That's what they would do. That's how it worked when they captured a nation. They didn't destroy and kill everyone until they had taken and looted the money and, and the, the resources that they could get. And then also some of the people. And then others, they left the poor people behind just to fend for themselves and mostly die. And they would let people come and settle. It was an interesting way, but it wasn't necessarily always total devastation, at least not in this time. I tell you that because Ezekiel was one of those who had been led into captivity in Babylon. And so he was a prophet that God called in Babylon to prophesy to the the, the nation of Judah, the people that were left there, but they were in captivity in Babylon. So the whole time Ezekiel is there, he is a prophet of God, and he is speaking to these people in captivity, and he's in captivity himself. In Ezekiel 16, we read this, and it parallels what I've been talking about. That's why I gave you that background. As I live, declares the Lord, Sodom, a reference back to Sodom, again, this God speaking through Ezekiel, Sodom, your sister and her daughters, have not done as you and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the guilt of Sodom, And their daughters, they had arrogance. They had plenty of food and were carefree and lived easy, free lifestyles. They didn't help the poor and the needy. And they were haughty or prideful and committed abominations before me. Now, and then he said, therefore, I saw them. Excuse me. And God's response to that was, God continued to say, therefore, I removed them when I saw it. Now, remember that the last part of that was committed abominations. The word abominations there is the same word for homosexuality used in Leviticus 18.22. The reason I tell you this is because I read an interesting commentary from a homosexual. I think it was a pastor or teacher or someone that um, was speaking to this because his point was it's an interesting point of view that you take when you're defending a lifestyle that God opposes and has spoken against throughout the Bible. But the homosexual position on this was interesting, and I did read it, and I want to give fair representation to that, was that Sodom and Gomorrah, that was gang rape, and the point was that no nice law, law-abiding law um, homosexual of whatever letter is described in the LBGTQ plus, and I don't know all of that, I apologize for that. Is, I'm not up to speed on what all those things are at this point, all the other things have been added, and I mean no disrespect by that, I just don't know that. But what they were saying was that there were there was a homosexual community, but the the, the, the bad ones were the ones that attacked these angels and wanted them, the strange flesh, they wanted them to have sex with them, and it wasn't the other ones living there just minding their own business and living peaceably, because what they say is they come to the Ezekiel passage and say, Look, this says that the sin of Sodom, and they focus on this, they were arrogant or prideful, they had a lot of food, they were, you know, living living well, living easy, just having fun, doing whatever. And they didn't help the poor and the needy. They didn't help the, the their neighbors. They didn't help those who needed help. They focus on that. That was a sin. It wasn't the licentiousness and the abominations of, homosexuality and things that God called abomination, well, that's not right because it's only partial truth, because indeed it says that right in Ezekiel that it says that their guilt of your sister, and it goes off through their arrogance, pride, and they were um, I guess, you know, plenty of food. It's interesting, the choice of words here, so they say, look, this is what it was it wasn't our lifestyle, it wasn't that, but that's not true because when you finish that verse, it says, and They were that way. They were prideful and arrogant and not looking after the needs of others. And God was always talking about what? Looking after the needs of the poor. He made provision for the poor throughout his in his laws. He taught the nation of Israel that how to take care of people, that they wouldn't go hungry and be needy. God didn't want needy people among his people or even the strangers that came in. That's why many strangers came into the nation of Israel to escape the oppression of Egypt and other nations because they knew that the God of Israel took care of his people, and he told them to take care of others. And so that was an issue here with God. That is clearly an issue that this gentleman pointed out. But it didn't stop there. It said they were were haughty, meaning prideful, and the sin of pride is huge, right? But it goes on to say they committed abominations. And so this Ezekiel passage ties back to the Genesis passage I just gave you, and the abominations were, And it's defined with the same Hebrew word in Leviticus 18. It's homosexuality. It's the lifestyle sin of homosexuality, the practice of homosexuality. So we we can't lose that thought. That is what it is. And that is why Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And whatever things that were going on, we have to assume it was all these things that Israel was practicing. And then God went on to say, and this is what is so unbelievable, is that Israel, God's chosen people, the favored nation, were doing things that he considered even worse. And we'll see probably next week now where Jesus pointed to that. And so I wanted to give you this background in history because when we've talked about the, uh, the messages before, talking about the, the days of Noah, and we did that in two parts, and then there's a reference to the days of Lot. We'll talk about that probably next time uh, to understand what this means. What this means, because again, Jesus will call them out as well. So we've seen now what Sodom and Gomorrah, what the nations were, what the issues were, and then with God's people, what the nations were—the nation of Israel—they were destroyed. And he was—and te- by the way, he said these words to them in Jeremiah, and then in Ezekiel, they were already captive. The Northern Kingdom was long gone. That was 140 years before the ultimate siege and, and destruction of 586. I hope that's helpful. that hope you understand. Um, Sodom, Gomorrah, the background, what we're talking about, what the references are when, when Jesus makes them later, when we talk about them now, when I teach on them, when the Bible talked about them from Genesis and then Ezekiel, and those references there was a lot going on, a lot going on. And because there weren't 10 righteous people in the eyes of God, not 10, which he'd promised, only Lot and his wife and two daughters that were led away, that were saved by God, that were saved from destruction, all the rest perished, just like in the flood of Noah. So as I mentioned, the last two weeks, what we've done, we talked about the days of Noah and okay, the days of Noah. Well, if I look in that same passage over in Luke 17, let me turn there. Let me pick it up and just read in 26. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, okay, this was the second mention of Noah. They were eating, drinking, marrying, giving marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, in verse 28, we stopped at verse 27. Now, pick it back up in verse 28. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot, talking about in Sodom and Gomorrah. They were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting. They were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, the angels took him out, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like that on the day the Son of Man is revealed. And on that day, and he goes on to describe what happens at that second coming when it's too late. You see, the, the context of the passages we were talking about leading up to these, the sign of Jonah and then the days of Noah and then talked about the days of Lot. The, the title of this series was the signs of the times in Jesus' own words. Today, I wanted to back up and give you the context of what we're getting into as we wrap this up probably next time. They kept asking for signs and more signs. And so when Jesus referred them to Jonah, they knew what he was talking about. Although they didn't know, they'd understand the analogy of him being in the, the belly of the great fish for three days and nice and then spit on the land to represent the Son of Man, meaning Jesus being crucified, buried three days, resurrection, rising on the third day. That part was to come. That was prophetic. But the part about the days of Noah, twice used, was not. It was not. He said they're doing these everyday practices. And it's interesting because when it comes to the days of Noah and the days of Lot, and this is another argument of some who believe it differently around the whole uh, practice of homosexuality thing, Jesus didn't, didn't, um, didn't mention or rail on the perversion and all these other things. He just talked about the, the days of normal, normal activities of everyday life. They're just going on about their business, but you have to understand, and you cannot lose the context. It's within the culture of what was going on. They had just become used to it. They had become used to it. It was part of everyday life. They lived in this sinful, debauched, perverse nations. In Genesis 6, that was what was going on in the days of Noah. That's what that meant. In the days of Lot, the same thing going on. I just gave you all that background on Sodom and Gomorrah. I had given you the background on the days of Noah, going back to Genesis 6, where it was so perverse and evil. God said, I'm sorry that I've created mankind. That's pretty bad. The same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, okay, Abraham, if if we go there, I mean, the angels, if I send them, they go there, and they find 10 righteous people, I won't do this. I won't do what we planned. But we know they didn't. It was Lot, his wife, and two daughters, and that was it. You see, the signs were all around them. That was Jesus' point. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is among you. It's in your midst. It was Jesus. It was his presence. It was what he was bringing in. It was This was the, the new covenant right before them. They didn't see it. They didn't see it. You know, they weren't paying attention. They knew Messiah was coming. They all knew the Torah. They'd been taught in these things, the law and the prophets. But they ignored it. And Jesus fulfilled so many prophecies, and they ignored it. And some will argue, well, God blinded their eyes. Well, they blind their own eyes, and God hardens their hearts. That's kind of how that works. It's a different message. But, you see, God told them that the signs were there. The signs were among them. The signs of Noah, for the days of Noah, we saw that. We talked about that. Um, and Lot, we've seen that. All this stuff going on, these unbelievably perverse debauched cultures where even child sacrifice and things like that were going on, people just went about their business, eating, drinking, marrying, being giving marriage, building, doing whatever. That's what they were doing the whole time until what? Until the flood of Noah came, and until people looked up, and all of a sudden, fire in the form of these brimstone sulfur balls were falling from heaven and consumed everything, everything. The flood of Noah completely destroyed the earth and all the things that were on it. Destroyed, I shouldn't say destroyed the earth. Destroyed the people, animals, all that stuff through that flood, even reconfigured the earth, because we know that's when the continents were formed, when all that water exploded up from within the earth and within the crust and divided continents and lands. But God destroyed the people completely, except for Noah and his family. And in the days of Lot, God destroyed the nation, the, the cities completely with fire and brimstone. They were no more. Couldn't find them. And we knew where they were for thousands of years. The signs were all around them. The signs were there among them and they weren't paying attention. Next time I'm going to bring this home. We're going to talk about Jesus. The words that he talked about in terms of what it looks like as the end of time, his second coming draws near. I hope you understand the abomination of desolation. And then we're going to bring it home to today. And to our nation what's going on, what has been going on, the signs of the times, how that fits. You know, the United States is not a chosen nation, never has been. Some people say it is, it is not. Israel is the only chosen nation of God. The United States had the hand of favor of God for many decades, was founded by some Christians, some not. I've talked to you about this before, but our Constitution talks about God and our Our laws are based on the Ten Commandments and the laws of God. So there's a lot in there that we can, people argue we're a Judeo-Christian nation. Not anymore. Haven't been for a while. And We'll talk about that more next time. So right now, let me just close it out with this. Christian, are you paying attention to the signs of the times? I'm going to lay out for us what our responsibility is in all of this. But I wanted you to wake up and understand Sodom and Gomorrah, what that means what that looked like and what God did just as he did in the days of Noah, that he will do that again. He's just waiting this time until all those who will be saved are saved and all the other signs that come in. And we'll get into those more next time, but we need to wake up and that'll be my challenge next time to wake up, The wake up call for Christians in the church. Now, For those who have ignored, disdained, would never listen to what I'm saying, would never listen to a teacher like me, and you've come across this, you need to know that you've come across this, and you are watching, or listening to, or reading my notes, only one reason, because the Holy Spirit of the living God, who is God, has put you there, and my plea is this. I may be the very last messenger, the very last evangelist, Bible teacher that God puts in front of you before your time comes, before your Sodom and Gomorrah, that end, before the flood, uh, whatever it is in your life, wipes you out and destroys you. You come looking and searching because you know there's an emptiness in your heart, and no matter how much you have, or no matter how poor and distraught and down and out you are. There's only one thing that fills that void, that fills our hearts and can bring us back to God, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, well, in the back of his perfect life, that sacrificial, merciless, bloody crucifixion, that blood that didn't just cover sins this time like it does in the Old Testament, cleansed us from all our sins, cleansed us from all unrighteousness, as John said in 1 John 1, 9. Your stumbling block sometimes is the cross in Jesus, because Jesus said in John 14:6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's a deal buster for a lot of people. Might be the deal buster of all deal busters. Don't like the terms of that agreement. I'm sorry. I'm just here to tell you that that's what he said. That's who it is. And, and just come like us. Come understanding, man, I'm a sinner lost, and I have screwed it up, and I need help. I need a Savior. I, need, I don't need someone who can just fix the problem right now, this, whatever issue is circumstantially. I need someone who can rescue me from myself and my sin, and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So I pray that you will bow the knee, repent of your sin, confess that sin, and just say, Lord, I need a Savior. I need a Savior, and that you would receive him and walk into his open arms today, born again, born again, changed mind, changed heart, let him begin to renew you and transform you, as Apostle Paul said, and he will. And it's a process. It's a process. And it happened overnight. Your salvation will occur at the moment you receive Christ as Savior. But the rest of it's a process. I wouldn't deceive you by telling you, oh, everything gets wonderful and great. All of a sudden, boom, just like that. For most, it does not. But I'd rather walk through all this stuff with Jesus, my Lord and Savior, than to walk one more day alone, wondering where there's any help or hope. We have hope in Christ alone. Father God, thank you for this time, this message, your words. Oh, Lord, I plead that someone receives this somewhere, somehow, in whatever form, and indeed bows the knee confesses that sin, repents, and receives Jesus Christ as Savior, that angels in heaven are rejoicing because someone is doing that, even as I'm closing with this prayer. Oh, Lord, I stand on your promise that your word will not return void. I'm standing on that promise right now. And I pray in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. And you have a great week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.